0: hey guys thank you so much for tuning in to just kind of curious this is episode four or five i think i can't quite remember uh today with us we have uh, glenn who's going to talk to us about his experience at google For so our audience who might not really be familiar with, with you could you maybe just give a quick bio and let people know who you are
1: yeah sure hey uh, so my name is glenn i've been software engineer for maybe three years i think so google is actually my second job my first job was in economy. so when economy was uh was i should say Um, a self-driving car startup, which had headquarters in Boston and an office in Singapore. And so I did that for about two years-ish, I think. And then from there, I moved to Google in the San Francisco Bay Area. And and currently, I'm in Singapore, of course, you know, there's a whole pandemic. But otherwise, otherwise, you know, I'd be in the US.
0: In the Bay Area, right? Yeah, in the Bay Area. (laughs) I feel like I feel like most people who do tech like at the end of the day like they end up in the Bay Area right? because there's like so much things to do there.
1: Okay, yeah, like that, that's the reason why I wanted to be there because you know there's such an interesting like concentration of talent and mm-hmm. like and like I mean even if you don't want to be based there like permanently like so many people just like pass in and out and like it's I think it's a great place to like talk to people and learn more.
0: So I guess I'm just a bit curious like what were the the differences that you saw in the Bay Area, come to Singapore? Because you say you work, it's a great area, right? There's a lot mm-hmm. of concentration of people passing in and out. And um, I was just curious, like, what were some of the bigger differences you saw?
1: Um, so it's pretty difficult to say because, I mean, I've only worked two jobs, right? One in Singapore and one in the Bay. Mm-hmm. But I'd say in Singapore, Singapore is more diverse, I would say. Like when you walk down the streets, like Singapore looks like a normal city. Like you have people doing like normal jobs. If you walk down like San Francisco, it's insane. You see like ads which are targeted towards like tech people. You have like all these like tech only things. And like so the Bay Area kind of lives in its own kind of tech bubble. And it kind of permeates your consciousness. So when you talk to people, you talk to tech people, you're always thinking like like they kind of fit this certain trope. Like I love hiking or I love rock <laughs> climbing, or like, oh yeah, I I brew coffee at home, or like things like that. So it's kind of like, when you go to the Bay, it's like everyone's in tech, and like everyone talks about the same few things. It's like, I think it's really difficult to talk about it like professionally, because you know, it's also like different companies. Mm-hmm. But I'd say like in the Bay Area, you see like a lot more Engineers and tech people who kind of fit the same mold. Whereas in Singapore, you know, you just naturally get more exposure to like different people, like startup people, bank people, stuff.
0: Mm, for sure, for sure. I, I actually had a joke about this. Like, I think someone was saying like the Bay Area is the only place in the world where your options are literally your stock options. Because I was in the world, <laughs> you're not talking about your options. You're like, oh, your relationship options. You know, your life, your choices options. and the Bay, Area is like, yo, my options are like this. And then they're like, oh, should you do it? You know
1: oh shit yeah that's 13 bucks yeah that's really
0: good that's good right yeah i was like i thought about it for a really long time and then like, i was like oh shit yeah yeah because like for me when i when i moved to new york and i, I was working in the, in the tech scene there i wasn't there for a few months like it feels felt like diverse you know and i was talking to some people at the bay because like once in a while you would walk by and you see like a bunch of like people like strumming their, their thing there'll be the people on the street trying to sell you their wares yeah but it never but it felt like you had to go to some like actual like meet to find like tech people you know because there are just so many people on the street. Yeah. I think like, yeah. the Bay Area is a... Are, I don't know, it feels like a mecca almost for like engineers, you know? Yes. Like, if you want to test your metal, you got to go to like, the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, and then you can go there, you can like, geek out as much as you want because like, literally every other person on the street is wearing like, all birds and everything. <laughs> all birds? Yeah, all birds. Yeah, It's like the tech shoe.
0: What's an what's all bird? I don't
1: it's a kind of shoe that... like. Uh, I do not describe it. It's kind of like... You know, like tech bros have this look like the Patagonia vest. Yeah. And like yeah, like so all words are like the shoes which are part of the look.
0: Oh shit shit. <laughs> I, I know the, the the finance bros have a similar thing. They have like the, the finance vest. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has it. It's not even funny. Every department has it. And it's like in the dead of winter they'll still be wearing it. So they'll take off oh their coat God. and you will be like, there's the vest there. And it's always Patagonia or their or their brand. Oh my goodness. <gasps> <laughs> I mean, I want to laugh,
1: but I have to Jacob jacket myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: like no, but sometimes you know it just works. You know, like yeah. like I had a I had a friend who was like uh, who kept saying like oh the tech bros are always like these guys who wear like um three dollar hoodies and like two thousand dollar shoes. <laughs> <the tech bro, laughs> you just like bro, you be like tech bro. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, you see them when you walk down the street.
0: So how's it for you, man? Like um, moving from Singapore all the way to like San Fran. Like what were some of the biggest challenges that you, you faced? There.
1: All right, so I'd say it's not too difficult because I feel like um, the Bay Area is pretty like cosmopolitan, mm-hmm. so like, going there it doesn't really feel too difficult, not too different. Just you know, kind of every I have, I stay in the suburbs, so I stay like in Mountain View, mm-hmm. so just like logistically, everything's much further away than in Singapore. But I think um, maybe it's because of where I work, maybe because it's Google. Like they have a really good process for like onboarding people and like helping people like fit in with the culture and all that. So I felt that at least like you know in my workplace it wasn't difficult then you know if you can assimilate well into your workplace then everything else is just like logistical. Mm.
0: So what was some of the I guess if it's, if it's possible share like some of the more like deliberate things that Google did to make sure you assimilate it? Did mm. they like it? If, you, if you could share that.
1: Sure yeah. So I think like larger companies tend to do a better job of this in general. So for example, um, for a larger company, typically, you know, you have like an orientation process, you have like an onboarding, things like that. So for Google, what they do is in the first week, it's kind of like a shared orientation. So they get everyone in an auditorium. and you know, They talk about company values, they talk about, you know, some things that you should know about. And for technical Googlers, you also go through another two and a half weeks of like technical training. So even though you're not like in the same like physical location, you're still doing like a tech project. So like for two weeks, I was with my team, and I was not working with like my team's stuff. I was working on my own project. So it's pretty nice because like it helps you like ramp up slowly, and also you know they put all like the values and the things that you should care about like upfront. So you kind of get these, like, expectations communicated to you. Mm-hmm. So as opposed to sometimes, let's say, if you were to join a startup, right? Like, a startup doesn't always have, like, the time and the resources to do all these things for you. Like, they kind of just like, all right, so here, here you are. You're the new guy. Here is a thing that we need to solve. Uh, here, go. Like, learn the thing. Like, sometimes you get, like, a little code demo, but most of the time, you're not going to get, like, full, like, orientation and, like, mm-hmm. values and all that. So I think that was something that Google did pretty well, I think.
0: So when it came to comparing, like your experience at Nutonomy, right? Because I, I remember, like, um, you told me that you worked at Nutonomy before you ended up at Google, and you were Nutonomy for a long time. Because I, I went to check out your LinkedIn. It was almost yeah. like three years, you know. Yeah. How was well, that like? By
1: by the way, you might want to be record that as like autonomy. Autonomy. Oh, sorry, yeah. sorry, yeah. sorry. Pronounce autonomy. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just <laughs> want you to like put on
0: the podcast and people like, hey, yo, that's us the company. I'm like, okay, Neutonomy. Okay, okay. Newtonomy, how was the experience like fitting in at Newtonomy? Because when you joined in like 2016, right, end 2016, I think they had just like moved to Singapore. They were setting up like their branch office and they just started trials at like, I think like one north. Because I remember back then I was hearing about a bunch of like driverless like taxis around the one north area. So I was kind of like, oh, cool. cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's super interesting. So, Newtonme was when they were in Singapore. So, I don't, I think, don't really think of it as a branch office, because what happened was a lot of the early employees were from Singapore. Because Mm -hmm. one of the co-founders was, I think, it was an advisor in a lab in NUS. Mm -hmm. And so, when I joined, right, it was probably like thirty plus forty plus employees. Mm -hmm. So it was like super small. Like I joined the team till like all right. So we hired you, we initially wanted to put you on this project. We don't know where we want to put you mm-hmm. anymore exactly, but here are some things that you can look at. then you're like, all right, yeah, just go figure it out <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I want to hit the ground running uh, I'm sure you have some front end stuff let me do let me do some front end stuff and so basically it was like it felt really organic mm-hmm. right? because like you have. We it was essentially uh, our office was literally like a furniture showroom, like those like little like furniture like showrooms in like those like, and, you know in those industrial areas, mm-hmm. and, like in those just big industrial complexes and all the first right, right. Like, like those like furniture places. Yeah, it was literally just like a bunch of people like packed into one of those, so like everyone's like shoulder to shoulder. you're just like it's just talking about. Everything, whatever, I, like nobody's really prioritizing. Like, oh, you know, what's the process for this? Like, what's that? Like, you have people who are working on the car, who are also working on like the web stuff. You have people mm-hmm. who are like literally doing everything. Like, when they're out of school, and so it was, it was, it was really different, and it was very interesting because you can imagine that from like three, are, like thirty plus forty people, mm-hmm. and then I think I joined like just before. Just after the series B and then so it just like exploded right so it just kept growing 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 and then we got acquired about then I was about 10 months in mm. I think and then so then so then you know we got acquired and then like hired even more people like things started changing we had like all these like different directions and all that and you can see like over time like um we started off with this like maybe like slightly less defined role over time like you try to like find your way and you try to like fit in into this new organization structure and i think it was i wouldn't say it was difficult but i think you have to be kind of flexible
0: with that so it sounds like you went from a bit more of a junior role where you were sort of executing more ad hoc tasks to a bit more of a senior role where you had a bit more defined responsibilities yeah would that be so how was that transition for you because like it's I was talking actually to michael Cheng yesterday about this um, mm-hmm. he's he's like this um like hard-on like og in, in singapore like for the coding scene and mm-hmm. he was telling me like one of the hardest things like for for a junior deaf to do, to get to a senior dev because as a junior deaf you learn something you execute right but as a senior deaf like now you need to think about so many more things and you have to communicate your ideas you need to, to start assigning tasks people taking on responsibilities and that that leap from junior deaf to senior deaf he calls it like a chasm Because a lot of people give up in between because a lot of organizations don't give enough support. A lot of people find it very difficult. So I was just wondering, Uh how was it for you going from the junior position to a slightly more senior position? I think it
1: was, I wouldn't say like I was like a very senior position. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. only there for like two and a half years, right? But I say it really does, you really do have to be flexible, like I said. So... It's it is difficult. Like I think you you see this in like larger companies as well, right? Like you see some people when doing the transition from like an individual contributor to even or, like a more senior individual contributor, at some point you still have to start like managing like other people in some way or another, right? Because then instead of doing the execution yourself, you're starting to think on like a higher level. So even if you're not a manager, you still have to be delegating tasks to other people. And though, so for me. Um when I was at you told me one of the things that I did was um there was this like legacy product which was pretty dated, it was pretty difficult to maintain. So I pushed pretty hard to, you know, move to something else. And then so I think probably like that that got like, you know, like my manager like noticing like, Oh, okay, you know, you're making a lot of noise about this, is this a problem? Right? Like we should do something about it. And so they were like like push through like that project. And so if we, yeah, so that was kind of different, right? Because before it was like I had someone who was acting as a bit of a PM, like assigning me tasks. Mm-hmm. Or like even in let's say like a traditional scrum where you have like a Scrum Master and you have the tech team. Mm-hmm. The tech team still has a lot of I would say the tech team is kind of empowered to like choose the tasks and like define what they want to do but then instead of like do- choosing those tasks for yourself now you also have to like think about what that's like for other people so i think um for me those it, was, it wasn't that difficult because it was a small team so there was a lot less of like managing other people and more of like how do i scope this and how do i divide up the work so that it makes sense for for us to collaborate, but I'd say that it's software engineering. For people who haven't entered the industry, is actually a lot about communication. It's and there's a lot of points on like communication and and cooperation, right? There's like the individual task level, right? You got to make sure that you divide up your tasks in a way that you know you can coordinate effectively. And there's also like the code itself, like the code you write itself is also like it's information that you're trying to convey to other people and you have to start thinking about how is this going to be read by other people instead of how am I going to read this like, one year from now or like so on and so forth. So it's actually a very collaborative environment and you kind of have to bear that in mind. So even if you're moving from like a junior to a senior position, that collaborativeness doesn't change. It's just that your role in it kind of changes.
0: So I guess when you, when you talk about like communication-wise, right, especially when you move to more like fixed roles, how did the way you communicate these ideas change? Because at the start, you're doing more ad hoc tasks. Well, you know, as you move to more senior position, you have like an established domain. So I'm just curious, like, did the way you, you try to scope things out change when you try to explain it to other people who might not have the background knowledge that you had?
2: Um.
1: I think it's not really it's not not
0: really a thing. Not really an issue that I face.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. because yeah. I tried recently to explain to my friend like how I wanted to structure my website. Yeah. And I realized for the first time I have no idea how to explain something to someone. Because <laughs> 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 my, my my friend has like psychology at, 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 at NUS and I was trying to explain to him like this is how I build my website, and I was so excited about it. Because <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, this is, you know, this is how you should do it. And this is how I did it. I have a C- I have a uh, this app here to ma- maintain my, my content. This thing here to maintain, like, my is my, my database. And this is, like, a server so I can render all my files. So I throw them up in the front. I do, like, server-side generation. And I'm talking for, like, 15 minutes. And I realized, like, he just looked at me. just like, what the fuck? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was I like, why, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Why are you doing half things you're doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is it? And then I was like, okay, maybe it's just my friend, you know. Then I yeah. tried explain I try explain to my girlfriend, and, she was, like, just look, and she was just like, "That's great." And I was yeah. like, I, just, said I was just like, "Shit!" Like, I really don't know how to do these things, you know. That's so why I was yeah. just, that's why I'm like.
1: No, no, it's it's not easy. It's, it's pretty esoteric. I tried to explain to my girlfriend also like, what I do at like, Google. I was like, okay, so basically, these people, you have to build a thing, but then. It's really hard to build the thing. So I build the thing which helps them build the thing. And then <laughs> their thing helps other people deploy things onto the cloud. And then so like I'm building code for people to build code to people for people to deploy code. <laughs> and it, at a certain point, it's it like so esoteric. Like, how do you explain this to people who are not in mm. <clears>
0: tech? <throat> I mean, I yeah. feel like at the end of the day, like I think Arvin also like, had something about this. Like the simplest of things are actually the most complex of things to explain. Like yeah. for him, like his AI, like when he was building his AI, he wanted to, I think before he developed Bifrost. He was trying to figure out how to pick up an object. He was like, shit, dude, you just reach over there and pick it up when you're human. But if you're trying to get an AI to do that, like, what the? Yeah. That's, that's the hardest thing. You know? And I think people like, don't understand how many intermediate steps there are mm-hmm. when it comes to building like stuff. You know? It's often mm-hmm. like, a challenge. I mean, I actually don't know what you do at Google because I, I, I try to read up about it, but you don't have a, like, a bio in your LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't put up much. Yeah. But, so basically, I work on. Um, an engineering productivity team in Google. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, Google has like all these like internal tools which help right, right. Them, which I don't like. You know, do a lot of stuff. You know, you can build mm-hmm. like CI, like all that. Like Google's got like fantastic tooling, right. but that's only for people who work with um, like mainly internal things. So there are some workarounds for like other teams, but there are other teams, let's say on cloud, who have a completely different set of challenges. So for example, let's look at a product like GKE, Google Kubernetes Engine.
2: Right. So
1: GKE runs Kubernetes. Everyone knows Kubernetes is an open source project. Right. So let's say you know Kubernetes has an update, right? How does that update make it into GKE? Because first the change like starts somewhere in open source, right? Mm-hmm. Which means that Google has to take that open source code and like release something based on the open source code. Which means that all Google's internal tools like don't really work that well anymore because you know, it's not, it's not like Google only code. Mm-hmm. So my team, like, we have a platform, so we essentially created a tool which helps engineers build and release from these like, from like code bases like that, that you know generally starting open source or have like different requirements from the Google internal code base.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's like a, it's like a compile, it's like a compile compile tool.
1: It's not really, uh compile. I'd say it's more like it orchestrates like different steps of the thing. So it helps you, let's say, build things in a verifiable way. Helps you track like what artifacts you produced and you know where they're deployed, how how many times you run this thing, so on and so mm-hmm. forth.
0: Mm. Yeah, I can see the difficulty in trying to explain that.
1: Yeah. Right. <coughs> so, so like you can you can see like this is difficult enough for people in tech, like. Just want more like, people who aren't in tech. Mm. Which is one of the things about being in the Bay Area. Because when you're in the Bay, right, like, like people get it because, like, everyone's in here. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can just throw out, like, oh, you know, like, I like this thing, which is a release orchestration CIC,
0: like, does all these things on cloud. And people will be like, hmm, wow. Yeah. That makes sense, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I got yeah. it. Yeah, I remember, like, uh, trying to understand, like, uh, Docker and Kubernetes for the first time. And yeah. I was like, Cause I only deploy things on local host, you know, like on my yeah. which is my local computer. And then suddenly they were like, "Oh, you should use this thing called Docker. It's Kubernetes." And I just sat there and I was just like, "What the fuck?" What? Yeah, yeah.
1: I I didn't actually understand what Kubernetes was until like this year
0: or something. <laughs> it's it's always like the, like I feel like like in in software engineering like there are always these few steps like um you understand what the thing does, and then you understand why you want to use it. And I feel like the, the gap from, like, jumping from, like, what it does to, like, why you want to use it, it's, like, the hardest one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I was trying to, so I was trying to build, like, a membership site for a friend of mine, right? He's trying to start a business, and I was like, okay, I'll do this as, like, a fun project, you know? And I was trying to decide, like, what's the difference between, like, a React Django site? So, like, React, React is, like, a thing to build, like, websites, Django to build a server. Um, and then like, um, I was just, and versus like, uh, like using like a react and, um, you express, which is a JavaScript server instead of Python. And I tried Googling for the longest time and realized I actually have no idea. Like I couldn't find anything about, it. I just saying that I was just like, how do people like understand these things? Do they just like work for like 10 years and then they just like, finally figure it out? Like just
1: like it. one day just like,
0: day? It. I'm, I'm just yeah. waiting for it. Yeah.
1: It's, it's difficult I think because like, you know, when you start like a project or like you go to work, there's yeah. a, like, why do you need this thing? Yeah. That's a what which solves it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then, but sometimes, like you said, right? Like, you know the what before you know the why, mm. which is kind of crazy. But the reason why you know the what first is because it's really difficult to figure out like why, like why do I need like repeatable build, or like mm-hmm. why do I need like process isolation, mm-hmm. or you know why do I need like isomorphic JavaScript applications with like React and Express, right? So like it's easier to hear like, the buzzwords and the keywords. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads—that's probably one of the sources of like frustration for a lot of people because you know you're drowning in this. It feels like a fire hose of information because mm-hmm. you don't have any kind of framework to like plug in all these like bits of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the solution to that is. A lot of it does come with experience, but I feel like there should be a way to speed up the process.
0: Who well, no, Maybe we'll discover it in the future. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I guess I'm just a bit curious because, like, I mean, it's a like tech is a very like complex field. I think at the end of the day, and a lot of people come into it like differently. So, so like, how did you end up like deciding to like tech? You know, specifically like I guess like front end. What was your journey like at the term?
1: Yeah, sure. So for me, it kind of started when. Um, like in JC, I just kind of figured, you know, hey, you know, maybe I should try programming. And so I took computing, and I realized that you know, like programming is just my thing, right? I just loved it; it just clicked. So then I just I, I kept doing it. So I did comp science in SUTD, mm-hmm. and like I just I love like tinkering with the stuff. I love that it's also like logistically like super easy because I don't have to like buy things. I don't have to. I don't like generate any like physical waste, and uh, I think of this stuff. And like it's and the satisfaction you get from you know plugging things together and seeing the work is, I think to me it's a really difficult, um, it's a really difficult thing to replicate like outside of software engineering and tech in general, because you get these like super tight feedback loops. You try something like oh it doesn't work, and then you just keep going at it over and over and over again, and like the. Like the satisfaction like sometimes like it's just immediate. And so that's initially what like propelled me through like um, uni, like right up to graduation. And then I think like somewhere around the time where I graduated to like shortly after, I got to like you know talk to friends and like some of them are very active, like they interned a lot of places, they did a lot of hackathons. And then they're using all these like crazy weird technologies. And stuff like that, and to me, it's like every piece of tech is like a new toy, to play with, and so like I try like sneak it in, as and when I can. Like whether or not it's actually a good idea <laughs> is, a different question. But I I think it's fun. Like for me, it's it's the satisfaction and kind of like the curiosity of like playing with all of these different like technologies, you know, like plugging in, plugging them in together like toys. And it's almost kind of like an aesthetic. Like you're trying to do things in an elegant way or like efficient way or maintainable way. And it's you're, you're kind of like, it sounds kind of stupid, but it, it sounds like you kind of like reach like a kind of like artistry or like a kind of zen when you're coding. So for me, it's, it's like a challenge, but it's like a
0: playful challenge. I think, I think there's actually a term for this, like, um, like a specific, like, um, so when you when you code, right? The the main reason why a lot of people find it very addictive is because of the feedback loop. And at the same time, because you tend to do projects that challenge you a little bit, but not like super hard. Like, you don't like start on your first day and you try to build the next Facebook. Page. You build like you know a web page
2: mm-hmm.
0: because you have an appropriate challenge and you have the feedback loop. You get into a state of flow. And so like time seems to pass by very fast. It's uh it's a very interesting like concept. I think that's why I, I sympathize a lot with that. Because sometimes I like you start coding at like nine and then you look up well oh, shit, it's like one. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and, and definitely like, you know, when it comes down to like like just building something. like, I I've actually like like I really, really thought about this for a long time, you know. And I was like, why do I why do I do like all these stupid things? Like I there was this one process that took me like thirty seconds. Like I literally just had to fill out a form, submit it, and get payment for this like job I was doing. I hated it, you know. I was like, "I'm gonna solve it," and so I spent like the next like twenty four hours trying to figure out how to solve it, and I didn't. (laughs) And that twenty four hours was literally the sum total, like the twenty four hours is more than the sum total of all the time in the world I would have taken to do this task because I literally did it like once every two months. (laughs) I was just right.
1: Yeah, it's 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 so ridiculous, right? Like. I remember once we had this uh, ML mod where we had to like label a bunch of data,
2: mm-hmm. and then we had to use this
1: UI that my friend and I just hated. And then we were like, "Oh, you know what? What if we just wrote a thing which would let us like write braces and a text editor, and then we post it to the API or something?" And then we spent way more time on that uh, than like actually doing the thing. <laughs> so I mean, in in the end, it's not really about practicality, right? It's like I think for some people, like we're just driven by. Like this idea that, oh, you know, like it's just fun. Like you just like playing with it, just like tinkering with it. And so I think like maintaining that at work is also pretty important. Because sometimes you hear of people who, you know, in the workplace, you don't really get that kind of leeway. So then it's, so then a lot of that play is kind of lost.
0: I mean, I definitely agree that uh, the sort of play is very really important. I actually heard that um, Google has this like 20% thing, I'm not sure like like if it's if it's a thing still but uh, i i remember reading like a long time ago like google spent a lot of time encouraging like employees to like ideas outside of their jobs and because of that like that's why google has all these like random apps all over cuz they they keep encouraging people to like launch these apps like mm-hmm. um google meets there's all these like random like side additions so i was just wondering like like is there something st- is this still a thing and if it's so like what do you do like at your job cuz these are all, like the, the the time just like time to play
1: yeah so like 20% projects are a big thing. I think it really it really is like a personal decision like whether or not you want to do a 20% project. For me, I don't have any right now. Currently, like on the side I'm working with I'm working with like a bunch of other people like outside of Google to mm-hmm. try and work on some kind of projects for like um volunteers during this COVID nineteen period. So I mean that's like that—that that was pretty interesting for me because like, I didn't really have a, like a side project for the longest time, and mm-hmm. then like picking it up and then on the weekends, you know, I was like doing like so much time into this. I am like, oh my god, like what's what's this new feature in React? What's this hooks thing? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. React hooks.
1: Yeah, yeah right. Like, because, because like I I started using React like when it was in beta, oh. so like last time I touched it was like years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, going back, I'm going back. I'm like, oh, what's this like hooks thing? Like, what's this? Mm-hmm. Like, and then I'm mean, like, I can express JS again. And I'm like, wow, like I love Node. And like, it's all these like, like stupid things. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm not sure if there's any like, economic value to it <laughs> at the end. But it just it is fun to like, recapture some of that. Like, mm-hmm. really.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely agree, with. Like, I feel like some of the side projects, like, you start nerding out about all these like strange things that I feel like would not make sense to like anyone else but yourself. Yeah. Like, I remember solving, like, uh, there was this one time, like, uh, there's this very famous eco from, like, the two sum. You know, you just, like, use, like, a pointer or use, like, a hash table, whichever, like, you get. And I remember looking at it, and I thought, I sat there for the longest time, and I was like, this is the smartest thing I've ever thought in my life. Because i just seen it, you know, and <laughs> I was just sitting there, and I asked my girlfriend, and I was like, yo, so smart, let me explain it to you. And she's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> I was like, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You know, yeah. you should to explain these things, and they just give you like the "I'm supportive of you," but I really don't understand why it's so interesting. Yeah, I am, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Like it was like when I learned of the so when you prepare for tech interviews, you know, you like you mount all these weird algorithms and stuff. Yeah, and so my my friend introduced me to this to this algorithm called the disjoint set union. Oh, I thought, this. I thought about this. Yeah, I never I never heard about it before, and when I mean, when I read, I was like. This, this is just like sheer brilliance but who can I who can I share this joy with <laughs> uh, dude.
0: it's like it's like all these small things you know you just look at it and you're like how do you think of it you know I remember like like sorting was one of the things that really fascinated me at the start like merge sort who the hell thinks of merge sort you know
2: mm-hmm.
0: or quick sort right
1: like
0: he just like woke up man like did he already know this yeah <laughs> <Like, laughs> dude like how do you how do you like visualize like like a graph, you know, and like DFS this shit, breakfast search this shit. You just wake up one day, do you have like a bunch of balls on your table, you know, just like those are the, those are the notes, you know. Then you tie strings to them and one day, you're like, this is how I solve this shit.
1: <laughs> right. And that's that, that's kind of the thing which like RP right? Which is it's a very simple idea. Like quick saw is a really simple idea, right? But it's complex in that it takes it takes a like spark to like, see it. Mm. And like sometimes in software engineering, it's like that. Like you can get caught up in the minutiae of like doing things, and like yes, you'll get there eventually, but have you done it like, in a way which you're happy with or not? Mm. And I think that's like a trade off that you have to make professionally as well, because like you you can spend like hours and hours and hours refactoring it, but maybe it doesn't actually cost anyone like hours and hours of time, mm. and then you've just wasted like your own time.
0: Yeah, I, I agree that like sometimes like the, the problems you see are not really problems. I think sometimes like when you compare like for example like talking about servers right like Express versus Django like even like Flask right. Mm-hmm. Like, I was I was thinking about it all this time and I was like I gotta optimize by doing like like Flask over Django. Django is huge as shit. Maybe yeah. not Express. Then I said that I thought about that and I was like, actually I don't think it'll actually be a server difference until I reach a million users. And even then I don't think it's gonna it's gonna cost like zero point zero five seconds of difference. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really just like. Am I going to be productive using this thing? Like, yes, I choose it. Mm.
0: I, think, I think, like, after a while, it's just, like, it's good enough it does the job, and then by the time, like, I will come back and, and fix it, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: That's, that's another skill you have to learn, like, on the job, right? Like, mm. you're trading off all these things. You're trading off, like, the elegance of your solution versus, like, performance versus all these other things. And then, in the end, you might choose something rich looks completely abhorrent to someone like from an engineering perspective. Mm-hmm. But it actually makes sense because
0: I know, reasons. Yeah, it works. Dude, I remember like um my first pull request. Oh my god. <gasps> <gasps> I submitted it, you know, cause, like I you know when you do it at university you take like the the quote, you just submit it, you're like, it's good enough, you know? They came mm-hmm. with like fifteen different some like suggestions and I was just like after so that, I was just so traumatized, by it. I was just like, I gotta check my work so carefully. And it took me a long time before I could like be like, okay, yeah, this is good enough. Oh. Yeah, I yeah.
1: That. There is that sense of intimidation sometimes, right? When you send your code out for review.
0: Yeah. Dude. And you're like, please. Did I name it correctly? Was it dry enough? <laughs> <laughs> did I repeat myself too much doing this? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god! I remember like I submitted like this code once with like three different functions to do it. And, like, uh, mm-hmm. my boss just came up to me and was like, why are you using three functions? You just need one. And I was just like, <laughs> I just sat there, and I just sat there for, like, sorry, like half a day. I was like, how? I was <laughs> like, sitting there. I was like, <gasps> <laughs> 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 I submitted and he was like, okay, 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 okay. Good yeah. Job. Well, I mean, so that's an interesting thing that you brought up, actually.
1: So, like, why didn't you just ask him, like, how?
0: I mean, I did. At the end. <laughs> after trying to figure it out for, like, half a day, you know. I even took, like, yeah. the, I, I even, like, took, like, the... I think I was just really scared like I was just like I think when you when you get a software engineering job like I was always like look so i um, I took like one CS class and then I went to NOC to do like a software engineering job um and I, I felt like completely like underprepared because like I was just like self-taught all the way and like my only CS class was like in like a strange language called OCaml Functional Programming um it, it was really fun though like I really enjoyed the class and uh the prof is super strange uh, but super quirky that kind of guy but then you go into the job and you feel like you know i don't know all these things You know i don't know about databases first day i go on the job and someone's like Yo, you're using a one-to-many many-to-one many-to-many and i'm just like what are all these strange words that are being thrown at me you know <laughs> and i go in there and i'm just like and i'm so worried that they're gonna like this guy one day like oh this guy's like a complete fake you know he's not a good enough software engineer So whenever they ask me questions, they'll be like, they're always like, they were really nice. Like the company was fantastic. When I was in New York, like the company was great. It's the Looper. Um, But I was always very worried that I was going to be like found out, you know, I always had this fear that you're going to find out that I was a very bad software engineer. I don't think I was. Honestly, at the end of it, they were like, before I got recalled back to Singapore, they were like, yo, dude, you were fine. You were great. Trust me. Yeah. There's always that fear, you know. Like, I don't know. Like, and I could never like get rid of it. So when it came to submitting those PRs, I was always worried to ask. And it was only when I sat there for like half a day, one day, two days, and I'll be like, okay, good. So, dude, I really need the help now. Can you help me?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel you. I think imposter syndrome is quite a big issue in the industry. is why really, like, you see so many posts about it, right? And like, there's always this kind of like, fear, like you don't want to look incompetent in front of mm-hmm. like your boss, in front of your peers and all that. But it's the, yeah, it's, it's really complex. Right? So so just like purely on the asking for help side, it's kind of like a time trade off, right? Like are you being effective? Like are you just spending too much time on this? Or like could you just be more effective at your job, you just like ask someone else and just like bite them bullet. Mm-hmm. But I think like the deeper issue is that you know we have to be kind of more comfortable with possibly appearing of or you know, what we think is appearing like less competent. But it's actually, you know, the way you do your job right. right which is, you know, you're going to be effective. You've got to be able to pull in the right resources. You've got to be able to talk to the right people. and get, like, the right knowledge. And then imposter syndrome is, like, it's always going to, like, nag at you a little bit, like, oh, you know, like, I'm not really a software engineer. Or, like, I'm not really a Google software engineer. Or, like, these people are so much better than me. But really, like, I think the more time you spend in the industry, the more you realize that, People are actually making it up at almost every level. Like nobody, like nobody actually really knows like everything that's going on because it's such a complex and difficult field. Right? And so at certain point like yes you have to put in your due diligence, you have to, you know, like do your homework, you have to like try to find out a bunch of stuff. But sometimes, you know, like the most effective way to do it is, you know, to ask for help when you need it. And it's not making you like appear okay, weak or in, appear okay, incompetent. Like that's you doing the job well. And it's and if you feel like you're inadequate or you're like an imposter, like chances are the the guy you're looking at who you think is like incredible or amazing, he's probably also felt it. Like if he doesn't feel it now, he probably felt it at some point in the past. And you kinda have to come to grips with the fact that you know, it's a lot of it is the pressure that we put on ourselves, and I think also as software engineers, we tend to uh, put down other people slightly. I mean, you just have to look at any Stack Overflow like comment section to see like people or you know bad <laughs> question or just oh, dumb, <laughs> okay. or like a code review is pretty scary, right? Because <laughs> you know you have people like actively critiquing your work, mm. but uh, but do uh, not really have to like take it? Personally, although it's difficult not to, right, and in the end you kind of have to just get used to the fact that you know you're putting your work out there for people to see, and other people are putting their work out there for you to see as well, and you know everyone, everyone's just um, going through the same kind of struggles, so you're not inadequate. It just as how you don't think other people are inadequate.
0: So, so how was it for you? Like, um, when you when you first started, like, how did you progress from? I, I mean, even in the time of at Google, like, in the form the questions you started to ask, or like the threshold that you you set for yourself before you're like, okay, I need to ask.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, I think I tend to err on the side of like trying to figure stuff out on my own. So that's actually something that I'm trying to work on as well, which is to ask for help, like actively. So it's difficult, right? I mean, it's like you can't really put like a value on these things. I just think of it as kind of like, am I the time I waste by asking someone else versus the time I'm wasting by like, digging around on my own? Like, if it is, it, if it, I think it's going to reach a point where I will save more time overall if I talk to somebody. Mm-hmm. Then I just try to do that. And um, I think there's actually kind of like a question asking approach as well which makes how should I put it you know like there's kind of a a fear of like appearing less competent Mm -hmm. but you can frame it differently to yourself right so instead of like I need help because um, I'm so instead of saying you know I need help because I'm bad or because I'm not good enough it's like hey I need help because you know I'm new to this, and I want to be effective, and I think I'll be more effective if I get your input.
0: Mm. That's a very really interesting way of reframing it, though. I think like it reframes it from like a uh, from a point of for weakness almost to a point of strength. Like instead of being like oh like I'm not good enough to a point of like I'm I'm I want to I want to be good and I want I want to take proactive action to fix this. And yeah. I think that's quite interesting. That's a way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. I think some people
1: I worked with, like they're really quite good at that, and then you can kind of see, you know, like the way they approach, like talking to people, and like there's so many different working styles in, in like, wherever you go. Mm-hmm. I think like that's that's like super interesting, right? Because you we always like caught up in our own way of working, but if you actually like, pause for a while and we observe what other people are doing, like, we can usually find like some like good habits like here and there that we can like adopt for ourselves.
0: So for you like what were some of those like habits that you adopted, I guess? Like over the course from like to, me, to Google, from L C T, like
1: Yeah, so that asking questions thing is one. hmm Um I think another thing is just like um like being willing to take on Like being able, like being willing to take on things which you're less familiar with. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, I had this friend who I referred to in autonomy, and initially, you know, like we started off with not two different skill sets. We were actually working on like the same same team, same product, and all that. But then over time, he was like, "Oh, okay, you know, I want to set up CI/CD on the setup, like our infrastructure and stuff." Then he goes out there and then he starts like learning, like Terraform, AWS. Like C I A C D and he's like doing this, like he's pulling resources, talking to like other people in the company and just doing this all on his own. Whereas for me, I was still stuck in this mentality of I'm too afraid of breaking the cloud. I'm too afraid of accidentally costing the company like, thousands of dollars if I screw something up. But for me personally, like I had to kind of come to grips with, you know, there's always like a little bit of risk. You're doing something that you don't know for the first time, but with that risk, it's also an opportunity, right? And so you have to bear that risk that you know something might go wrong in order to reap the opportunity of you know, discovering something that you really like. So for me, I found you know I really love playing with like cloud and terraform and stuff, but I would never have gotten there if you know, I didn't see other people taking the risk of learning that in the first place.
0: Out of curiosity, what's Terraform? Sorry, because I've never heard like this before, so I just thought like I'll ask a question.
1: Ah, okay. So Terraform is this thing which was developed by HashiCorp. So it's a way for people to, um, it's a way for people to automate their infrastructure. So let's say I have, I am on AWS. I need a VM. The VM needs to be provisioned with a static IP address. I need this DNS entry, or like I need this database. So Terraform lets you declare all that and then it like declaratively like puts that out there. So you just say I want these four things, and then you pass it to Terraform,
0: and then Terraform just creates those four things for you. So what's the difference between like Terraform, I guess, and like Docker? Because Docker feels like it does the same thing. Because Docker, in Docker, I generate like a Docker file. It has all my dependencies, and I can install whatever I need. So what's like the difference you would see there?
1: So um it's a very different purposes. So for Docker, what you're really trying to accomplish is isolation of your processes, right? You, what, for Docker, you what you're trying to do is you want to make sure that your process isn't interfering with other people's things, and other people's stuff isn't interfering with your stuff. Right. But that's already happening like on a machine, right? Like on a VM or on a computer somewhere. Whereas Terraform is like the the layer below that, right? It's Terraform is like I need two VMs, I need a Kubernetes cluster, I need um, a PubSub topic, and then Terraform like creates those things for you, then your application logic itself like, will probably live in Docker.
0: So a good way to think about like, how Docker, Kubernetes, and Terraform work together is that Terraform sets up the infrastructure in the form of like, how many VMs do you provision, how many databases do you provision, and all this stuff there. Kubernetes, orchestrates individual containers of processes running in Docker.
1: Yeah. You can, so like, oh, can I say this? I probably can say this. Yeah. Uh, so like, so for example, in Google, so I use Terraform to manage uh, my GCP project. Right. And then, so part of that is starting up a Kubernetes cluster. So the Terraform manages that part of Kubernetes and then Kubernetes manages like the different microservices in my app. So yeah, and then just the, the fact that uh, Kubernetes uses Docker is like an implementation detail, or the fact that Terraform setting up Kubernetes is like
0: just an implementation
1: detail of my app.
0: Mm, I see. I see. I see. That's how. It oh, that's pretty dope, though. I I not know about that. I don't know about Terraform. I think maybe yeah. I'll use that like in future like builds. Wow. Oh yeah, it's, it's super fun. Like, I love it. That's the thing, right? It's
1: like you you have this like whole like this huge wide expanse of like all these things that you could do but you don't know that you could slash should yeah you
0: know? i think like it's it's like for a lot of people when you hear about what tech can do for the first time you're like what and then you hear, you read about it and you're like the more you get in it the more like magical it seems almost sometimes mm-hmm. like when you look at like, for, like even like the simplest of things like html css like you're writing text it makes it into like a beautiful web page i can click on it and it can go into someone else you know then you build in like more stuff with that you're like oh like I have Express Server, which is like a JavaScript Server, and with that I can send people to like different things, and depending on where you're from in the world, I can give you different information. There are all these like small things that just keep like incrementally building, building, and it You're like, oh shit, this is magic, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, like in tech people also build this rabbit hole of like tech for tech for tech. For tech.
0: <laughs> it's a tech. <laughs> you just, you just <laughs> you <start> descending. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, but there's always like very interesting ideas I find. They always come about. Like, I think for me, like um, like Tailwind CSS. Yo, that was really interesting. It's not that it's, it's like it's basically a React inline style where you style your components inline. But it was very interesting to see like how it how like that presented a different approach to like a traditional like HTML CSS separation. And then now you have like inline separation, and I was like, oh, I didn't know I thought of it this way until this other approach was given, and now I'm like, which one do I like? Hmm? Mm-hmm. Right, like were you developing in like the jQuery era? I, I did a little bit of it. I wasn't. It's 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 in the decline now. jQuery. Yeah.
1: Right. But then, like moving from like jQuery to like React or Angular, oh, these are all like different paradigms, and it's it's fun, right? Like you just get this like it's different ways of seeing like the same thing. Like how do I change something on a web page? And yet um, like, you know, like, we have like such different approaches and it's fun to tinker with, I
0: think. Mm, I think at the end you just find something that works for you and then you go with that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know man. I think that's the beautiful part of tech. Like it's like it's like it's like a world infinite toys, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like I think like that keeps me in it. You know. Like I'll never run out of things to play with. Hmm.
0: And then when you're bored of it, you just switch to another stack. And when you're bored of it, you switch <laughs> to another like, application. You're AI. Don't, don't, don't tell my kill, I'm going to change the stack. <laughs> you just be like, well, uh, about that. <laughs> <laughs> you jump. Oh. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, actually, that's, that's, that's really what I do in tech now. When I get bored of, like, full stack, I go to, like, the front end. When I'm bored of the front end, I go to the back end. When I'm bored of the back end, I, I try to do some AI. I never do any of them fantastically, but still, at the end of the day, like, it's fun to be with one.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, same. I started off doing like front-end stuff, and then I explicitly said oh, I do back-end. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to do like, infrastructure type things. And then I said, okay, I want to do microservices and cloud. And then that's when I moved to Google. And then so like in my team, I'm doing this weird combination of like managing the infrastructure and back-end development and front-end development. Mm-hmm. And then my TL is just like, All right, back-end development, like, mostly.
0: Mm. I, I don't know. I feel like tech is one of the few places where you can combine like, a lot of disparate ideas and experiences together in a very unique way. Like, if you work on a Python backend stack with a, with a JavaScript frontend stack, then you use like, this Kubernetes. Like, somehow you have all these like, strange configurations and you end up with your own stack that no one else has, almost. Or well, not no one else has, but like, your own unique of experiences and the way you think about them as they connect together. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's a good way to put it. Like, the way you figured out, like, you know, this works in this, and therefore mm. I should do
0: that. Like, I don't think that any tutorials that teach you, like, the full stack, they're always them, that like, they teach you, like, step-by-step step how the link, like, A with B, B with C, A with C, and then you sort of figure out on your own. And I think that's the beauty of it.
1: Yeah. Although, to be fair, I think that's a bit of a shortcoming of the industry, because we've kind of not really developed good ways of doing these, like, all the time. Like, for example, let's say, you know, you try to build, like, a house, right? I have... Like building regulations, you know, it has to, like, I have to have like this much fire escalation, It has to be resistant to earthquakes up to this magnitude, or mm-hmm. right, things like that. And there's also like a lot of like good knowledge on how to do this. Like for example, like how do I build a bridge? You know, you distribute the load like this. Whereas you say, "All right, I want to build a website, and then the internet spits like a thousand tutorials on you on like mm. on like every JavaScript framework that's out there. Right, it's very easy to get lost. Mm. And so I think like you know, that's part of the value of talking to people and getting the input. Because it's very difficult to sift through all this as, as someone who's not so experienced. Mm.
0: I mean you don't I think at the end of the year, like if, without the experience to you know like, what matters the most. Like you just swap out like one framework for another at the end of the end, And I think that's a bit like risky sometimes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think if you want to like accelerate your learning, you kind of need some like
0: direction. Mm. Someone point you in the right direction, I feel. Arvind also said it. Like, if you if you want to get to step A, find someone at step C. That yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was a very cute way to, to put it though. Like there are, there are a thousand and one ways to say it, but like, I think like that was a very cute like, way to describe it. I like, was makes sense. Yeah. 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 I think I think um I've asked all the questions that I really had in mind today though. This was a really fantastic experience yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And hey, if, cool, anyone, if any if anyone is of our listeners have any like questions for you, like where can they reach you? Oh
1: geez. Uh I don't have a Twitter because you know I don't give tech talks and stuff. <laughs> I but mean, I mean it, you can just you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um Glen work at Google, just to work in the economy. Can't be too many people with that profile, right? <laughs> uh definitely for
0: sure. And I guess thank you so much. Thank you so much guys and peace out hey guys thank you so much for tuning in to just kind of curious if you like the podcast please 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 leave a review and it'll really help me get the word out there for what i'm trying to do until then we'll see you in the next episode peace out